This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فخلف من بعدهم خلف اضاعوا الصلاه واتبعوا الشهوات واتبعوا الشهوات فسوف يلقون غيا الا من تاب وامن وعمل صالحا فاولئك يدخلون الجنه فأولئك يدخلون الجنة ولا يظلمون شيئا جنات عدن التي وعد الرحمن عباده بالغيب إنه كان وعده مأتيا لا يسمعون فيها لغوا إلا سلاما ولهم رزقهم فيها بكرة وعشيا تلك الجنة التي نورث من تلك الجنة التي نورث من عبادنا ما كان تقيا وما نتنزل إلا بأمر ربك له ما بين أيدينا وما خلفنا وما بين ذلك وما كان ربك نسيا رب السماوات والأرض وما بينهما فاعبده واصطبر لعبادته هل تعلم له سميا الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين شاء الله um, just before we get started with the discussion on the ayat uh, just wanted to, I know a lot of our students are here that are attending the summer program, the Quran Intensive, so I'm pretty sure they were able to meet him earlier today, but one of the brothers from our full-time program who's been uh, TAing with us, Brother Shiraz Khan, so he's returning back to Chicago, so uh, make sure, inshallah, you are able to uh, thank him, inshallah, and also uh, make dua for him for all the help that he's provided to you, and uh, definitely we'll be missing him, inshallah. Alright, inshallah, we'll go ahead and get started with the discussion on the ayat. In ayah number 58 where we ended previously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about kind of this, it was this culmination or this summarization of uh, all the prophets and the messengers and everything, uh, and the, the, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had showered them with His blessings and how they were rightly guided. And the people who follow them and listen to them and uh, follow their guidance that is provided to them, provided by them, they are chosen people by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are also similarly blessed by Allah. And then it goes on to say, sort of in conclusion, that both about the messengers and the followers of the messengers, that they are people who don't just... The Qur'an or the ayat of Allah are not just a form of entertainment or amusement for them. Rather, إِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُ الرَّحْمَانِ خَرُّوا سُجَّدًا وَبُكِيًّا That when the ayat of Ar-Rahman are recited upon them, they fall down. Just unwillingly, they fall down. They are forced to prostrate and fall down before Allah all of a sudden in the, in the position of sujood. And the, the, hyper, uh, the hyperbolized form of the noun is used here to emphasize that this happens frequently. And they do this with the 
utmost uh, of sincerity, wabukigan. And then I talked a little bit about this and that they cry. And they cry frequently and abundantly while they are prostrating before Allah. And I didn't get to comment yesterday a little bit about this element of crying. First of all, I wanted to explain the significance. First it mentions a physical act, sujjada. They do sujood. And that's fine, that's a physical act of sajda. But then secondly, it mentions wabukigan. And that, then it mentions uh, the fact that they cry. This is symbolic of the fact, and this is being explicitly and separately mentioned to, uh, to, to illustrate the fact that they just don't do the physical sujood. Because the, the ones who do physical sujood are plenty. Plenty of people do the physical sujood, but they do the internal sujood as well. And that is that they feel it to the depths of their heart. It's basically the element that we refer to as khushur. It is the element that we refer to as khushur. So, um, no, I'm looking for my notebook. I just realized I don't have it. All right, I apologize. So, they have that element of khushur as well when they pray, that they internally are absorbed by the experience of the prayer. So, sujjadan wa bukigan. And then, oh, no, it's that yellow one. And, jazakallah and then it also, the other significance of this is that we actually see that in many different narrations from the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions the, the blessing and the virtue of being forced to tears before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being forced to tears before Allah. When praying to Allah, coming to tears. When reciting the Qur'an, coming to tears. When reading the life of the Messenger, coming to tears. That this is something that is very honorable, very distinguished. And this is something that is praiseworthy. This is something that is encouraged. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ so much so says that when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then cry. Cry when you make dua. And he goes on to say in a narration that even though uh, the authenticity of it is up for discussion amongst the muhaddithun, but he says that if you feel like you are unable to cry, then at least feign crying, at least try to cry, at least exert some energy, some effort to try to weep, try to cry before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it's a sign of humility. And there's even some narrations from the Prophet ﷺ that he would offer these supplications. Allahumma ja'alni min ibadikal مُنْعَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ السَّاجِدِينَ لَكَ الْبَاكِينَ عِنْدَ تِلَاوَةِ آيَاتِكَ And this is mentioned in the tafsir of Imam Al-Qurtubi, that, oh Allah, make me from your slaves whom you have blessed, that they are blessed, they have, blessings have been showered upon them, and they are rightly guided, الْمَهْدِيِّينَ السَّاجِدِينَ لَكَ That they do sujood just for your sake. الْبَاكِينَ عِنْدَ تِلَاوَةِ آيَاتِكَ And they cry when they recite your ayat. When they recite the ayat of the Qur'an, or when they even look at your great miraculous signs all around them. So this mentions that the prayer, so this is kind of like an implicit evidence for the fact that, or an implicit reflection on the fact that we pray, yes, physically, but that it's referring to that internal aspect of the prayer. And I wanted to just real briefly comment on the practicality of this. You know, we live in a culture sometimes where, um, where we can sometimes be a little too self-conscious and we can be insecure about the wrong things. We can be insecure about the wrong things. So, Today, crying like that when the Qur'an is recited or crying in dua and supplication might, might come off as being a little over the top. Like that's a little over the top. So when the Qadi or the Imam is reciting Qur'an and he begins crying in, during his salah, and it's kind of like, oh, here we go again, right? So it's like, it's considered to be a little over the top or, um, you know, or when you encourage, especially, you know, to, for brothers and stuff, when you encourage, you should cry when you make dua, cry when you recite the Qur'an, cry when you make the dhikr of Allah, then it's kind of like, I'm a man, I don't cry. 
right? So it's, 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 it's a completely warped perspective. Because you're not just crying for the sake of crying. It's not like crying because you hit me or you're crying. It's crying because you're crying before Allah, the one that created you. The one that sustains you, provides for you, nourishes you. And the one that you will eventually have to go back and stand before and your complete uh, fate lies solely in His hands. You're crying before that Allah. That's one thing. The other thing is, honestly, from a very just, you know, observation of culture, you know, how often does it happen when, you know, people watch movies and they start to cry? Right? People watch movies and they start to cry. So in Kung Fu Panda, when he reconciles with his father, then all of a sudden everybody cries, right? It's kind of like, okay, so you cried because a cartoon panda cried. Or like he made good with his father who's a goose or a duck or something, right? So that, that, that made you cry, that makes you cry. Old Yeller died and that made you cry, all right? It's fine, sympathy for animals is a good thing, it's from the Sunnah. But you get my point, you get my drift. I'll cry because a fiction, a fiction dog in a movie cried, or, or died rather, so I'll cry. But I, I, I feel like somehow it's against my manliness to cry before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's a very, very warped perspective. So this is, the Prophet sallallahu was the, men of, uh, the, the, the ultimate example of what it was to be a man. The Sahabatul Kiram are such people. The Sahaba, the male Sahaba, the men of the Sahaba are such people who not you, not me, not somebody else, Allah Himself calls them men. Allah calls them men. Rijalun. La tulihihim tijaratun wa la an Allah calls them men. And they were of such, their, their condition was such that Abu Bakr as Siddiq radiallahu anhu would spend the entire night crying throughout prayer. They were such that Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhu would sit in the graveyard and cry for hours and hours. What will happen to you, Uthman, when you go in this grave? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu was such a, a man. Such an example of manliness. And Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu would begin reciting Surah Taha and Salatul Fajr and just break down crying in the middle of it. So much so that sometimes he literally would start to lose his balance from excessive crying when reciting the Qur'an before Allah. So this is what it means. So, so this is mentioned here in this ayah, sujjadan wa bukiyan. That they would do sujood and they would cry before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ Okay, so it spoke in ayah number 58, it spoke about these amazing, unbelievable prophets. But then it says in ayah number 59, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ But then they left behind after them. Then they left behind after them, خَلْفٌ Some people, a group of people, a type of people rather I should say. They left behind them a type of people. And it's, um, the, many of the Mufassirun and the Lughwiyun, the Sarfiyun have commented on this. Khalfun, bisukun al-lam. Where there's a sukun on the lam. That khalfun is a word in classical Arabic for people that are left behind that are bad. Leaving bad people behind. Leaving bad followers or bad students or bad children or bad, po- bad progeny, whatever it is. Leaving bad people behind, khalfun. But when it's said with the fatha on the lamb, maftuhul lamb, khalafun, khalafun is very, very good. Exemplary people, excellent people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ And they left behind them, what type of people? Khalfun, bad people. They left bad people behind them. Meaning some people followed after them who were very, very bad. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ Some people followed after them and they were very bad. 
So because the reason why this clarification is being made, because think about from the perspective of Muhammad Rasulullah he's reading these ayat and he's saying, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ مِن ذُرِّيَّةِ آدَمْ وَمِمَّنْ حَمَلْنَ مَعْنُوا وَمِن ذُرِّيَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْرَائِيلُ وَمِمَّنْ هَدَيْنَا وَجْتَبِينَا He's reading about these amazing, unbelievable people that came in succession one after another. And then he's looking around him at the people in Makkah. Remember, it's the beginning part of the, the, the da'wah in Makkah. It's when the da'wah has just gone public. So right now, it's, uh, the, the challenge is at its worst. People are at their worst condition. And he's looking around him and he's saying, then what happened to these people? If such amazing people came before them, then what happened to these people? So Allah says, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ The problem was, that don't let the condition of these people take away from who those prophets and messengers were. Who those prophets and messengers, don't let that take away from that. Rather, that this is the fault of these people. These people are bad. These people are unworthy. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elaborates. How do things go bad? This is very important to listen to. This part is extremely relevant for us. So it's saying that bad people followed after them. But they're following after the prophets. How do, how do you go from that good to this bad? How does that happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us how it happens. Step number one. أَضَاعُوا salata. أَضَاعُوا salata. They wasted. They wasted. They neglected. They did not care for as-salah, the prayer. They neglected. They wasted. They were careless. They were negligent about the prayer. Now, what does that, what does that now mean? What does it mean to be careless or negligent about the prayer? Are we talking about not praying at all? What are we exactly talking about? So there's a few quotes here. Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, he's gathered a lot of these quotes in his tafsir. Uh, he says that Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu and some of his students like Mujahid and Ibrahim al-Nakhi'i and even Umar bin Abd al-Aziz rahimahumullah, they all say, إِضَاعَةُ وَقْتِ الصَّلَةِ That they were not particular about the timing of the prayer. Subhanallah, think about that. The fact that they wasted prayer, they neglected the prayer, doesn't mean that they didn't pray at all. It means that they were neglectful about the timing of the prayer. They were not punctual about the timing of the prayer. And that, that's, that's something serious we should all take a long hard look in the mirror about. We should self-analyze, self-critique. Some of them give an even more difficult to swallow interpretation. Some of them say, no, it means that إِضَاعَةُ خُشُوعِ salah That they were neglectful or negligent or careless or lackadaisical about the concentration, the focus and the quality of the prayer. That they would pray five times a day. But it was sort of like, get it done with. Just get it done with. No concern for quality and khushu and concentration. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab. Before I go there actually, let me first clarify this. Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah, he says, Tarku al-Masajidi wa iltizam bil-bayi wal-la'ab. He says that it meant what this means, Adha'u salah they wasted the prayer, that they started leaving the masajid empty. They wouldn't frequent the masjid, they wouldn't attend the masjid. They became so pre- that they would still pray. But they became so absorbed by their business pursuits, by their worldly ambitions, by their personal indulgences, hobby, pastime, whatever it is, that they just they didn't have time for the masjid anymore. I just pray real quickly in the corner and just get on with what I gotta do. Get back to making more money. 
get back to making more money. Or got to get back to the game. Or got to get back to the TV show. Whatever it is. But there was not enough time. They couldn't make time for the masjid at all. So these are all of these different perspectives. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a combination of all of these put together. It's a combination of all of these put together. So, أَضَاعُ salah. And then what's the next thing? وَاتَّبَعُوا الشَّهَوَاتِ اِتَّبَعُوا الشَّهَوَاتِ And they followed the desires. They followed desires. Shahwat, shahwatun, refers to the, just the carnal animal desires a human being has within him or her. Just to just fulfill my own just lust and desires. They started following that. The Qur'an tells us what eventually happens to a person when they follow their shahwat, they follow their desires for long enough, that initially they just follow them. They listen to them. But eventually what happens? Eventually they, the, their own desires become their God. Their desires become their God. Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ, haven't you seen? Have you seen the person? He's taken his own desires to be his Lord and his deity and his God. Now how tragic is that person's condition? So what tabaru shahawat? Now, so obviously from our perspective, something to think about is how do we treat the prayer? And this is that beginning of that slippery slope. This is the beginning of that slippery slope. When we read about the people of the mushrikun of Mecca, when we read about the Jews and the Christians that were found at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Yahud and Nasara at that time, then when we read about them, we say, man, those are some really, really bad people. Those are some messed up dudes, right? Like, that could never happen to us. We're not good, we're not perfect by any means, but those are some really, really bad people. But at the same time, everything starts somewhere. The ball started rolling somewhere. There's a slippery slope along the way somewhere that begins that downfall. And the place where that, that first slipping, that first time their foot slipped, Allah salah. When they became careless about their prayer. And from there, everything just gathers, everything snowballs, everything builds. It's all downhill from there, as they say. It's all downhill from there. And Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, it's mentioned in the Muatta of Imam Malik rahmahullah, Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu wrote a letter to all of his governors and he said, The most important of any of your dealings, any of your issues, because as a governor of a state, you would have a lot of issues that you have to deal with. He says, as far as I'm concerned, the most important of the issues, about any of your issues that I'm concerned about, is as-salah, is the prayer. He said, فَمَنْ ضَيَّعَهَا فَهُوَ لِمَا سِوَاهَا أَضْيَعَ Because whosoever will be neglectful about the prayer, will be even more, more neglectful about everything else. He has another quote, Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, very similar to this, where he says, مَنْ كَانَ لِلصَّلَاةِ مُضِيعًا فَلِغَيْرِهَا أَضْيَعَ Whosoever is neglectful about the prayer, he'll be even more so neglectful about everything else. Why? He, he, he explains. He says, فَمَنْ لَيْسَ فِيهِ خَيْرٌ لِرَبِّي فَكَيْفَ يَكُونُ فِيهِ خَيْرٌ لِغَيْرِي He said, the person who can be good to Allah, how, why would you ever expect that person to be good to anyone else? How do you expect that person to ever be good to anyone else? He can't be good to Allah. He can't do what Allah asks him to do. How could he ever do, be good to anyone else or fulfill anyone else's rights? He doesn't even fulfill the rights of Allah upon him. So salah is that first step. And we have to be very cautious, very careful about that. 
And we should never belittle these types of things. That as salatu ala awwali waqtiha, the Prophet alluded to this being that afdalul a'mal, the best of actions and deeds. Afdalul a'mal, as salatu ala awwali waqtiha, pray as soon as the time comes in. And obviously many, many of you have heard me talk about salah plenty of times before, so I don't want to just keep rambling on. But nevertheless, a little bit, and just to give you practical points. Because a lot of times this type of talk can become very theoretical, I want to make it practical. Discipline yourself about salah. Discipline yourself about salah. And the easiest advice I give to people about that is, of course the Prophet is saying, pray as soon as the time comes in. And that's actually become a lot more practical than we might realize. For the people listening to the recording, I'm holding up a cell phone. We have apps, mobile apps, and all these types of things that go off and give the adhan as soon as it is time for the adhan. Can be a little bit of an issue sometimes when you're boarding a plane, but that's a different issue. Alright? Nevertheless, it calls the adhan for you whenever the time for salah occurs. So now we can actually practically implement the advice of the Prophet ﷺ. I hear my phone go off, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Time for salah. The other practical advice that is given by the fuqaha and the scholars, that if we cannot, maybe if that's not practical for someone, as soon as the time comes in, pray like keep track of the exact adhan time, the minute 12.54 p.m. etc. etc. Then at the least, what can we do? Fix a time for prayer. Fix it. And obviously, fix it reasonably. Don't fix Salatul Dhuhr time at 4 p.m. Fix it at 1.30 p.m., at 2 p.m. Reasonably. But fix a time for prayer. Now you're probably saying, yeah brother, the iqamah time at the masjid is fixed. Of course it's fixed at the masjid. But you know how we are about iqamah time at the masjid? No, mashallah, here at Carrollton, they're easy going. Alright? They, they give me some leeway here. But typically what happens in masjid, iqamah time is so fixed, even if the imam doesn't show up, what happens? It's go time. Right? Even if imam sahab is not there, it's go time. Right? We need to be just as disciplined about prayer time in our personal lives. So when I'm at my, my Lord time is 1.30 p.m. fixed. 2 p.m. fixed. Then it doesn't matter if I'm at home, or if I'm at my shop. 1.55 p.m., I'm gonna step away, I'm gonna go make wudu, because I have to say Allahu Akbar at 2 p.m. Be disciplined about that. I often tell people at your homes, the mothers who are at home with the children, be disciplined about that. That's how children learn to pray. That it's no mystery why sometimes we have difficulty teaching our children when they get older to pray on time. Because we need to set that example. Be particular about the prayer. Set the, set the precedent, set the example. We've talked a lot about parenting in the surah by virtue of Zakariya and Yahya, Maryam and Isa, Ibrahim and his father, etc. etc. But so one last little point and tip here. Pray as a family. Pray together. Have a place for prayer in the home. For purpose of ta'aleem, لِتَعَلِيمِ الْأَوْلَادِ To teach the children how to pray. When everybody just kind of prays individually, privately, in a corner of their own room at their own time, children never get to see prayer. They don't, that's how children learn things. That's how they learn things. So teach them to pray by getting together and praying in, that, in a common open area of the home. And fix the time for prayer. Children will learn that timing. They'll learn it. So, أَضَاعُ الصَّلَةِ So the bad thing was that these people, they wasted the prayer. وَاتَّبَعُ الشَّهَوَاتِ And I spoke about this, that they followed their desires. Now, if you look at it, the, what was the nasiha, what was the advice, what was the guidance of the messengers, alayhimu salam, that was mentioned before. 
So we see that Isa alayhi salam says, وَأُوصَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ وَأُوصَانِي بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ My Lord has firmly commanded me to stick to prayer and to charity, zakat. Then we saw that Ismail alayhi salam, وَكَانَ يَأْمُرُ أَهْلَهُ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ that he used to command his family to stick to prayer, to salah, and the zakah, and charity. Here it says they wasted the prayer, and then they followed their desires. No mention of zakat. Because subhanAllah, when, when talking about the opposite end, when things have gone bad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rather than talking about zakat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks the reason behind that, or the manifestation of that. So the contributing causes to leaving this. So instead of mentioning zakat, it leads, it's talking about what leads to leaving zakat. And we see similar type of uh, discourse in Surah Al-Muddathir, Surah number 74, Ayahs 42 through 47. It's a passage where the people of Jannah are asking the people of hell, مَا سَلَكَكُمْ فِي سَقَرْ What led you people into the burning, blazing pits of the fire of hell? قَالُوا They said, لَمْ نَكُمْ مِنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ we didn't used to pray regularly. We didn't used to pray regularly. Problem number one. And we, then we didn't feed the poor. Not praying regularly led us to not feeding the poor. Because when you lose that spiritual connection, you've lost your motivation to do good. When you have no relationship with Allah, then after a while you'll question yourself, why do I need to do that? I need to live for me. I need to look out for number one, which is me now. Not Allah anymore, it's me now. When a person doesn't have a relationship with Allah. Well, then we just stop feeding the poor. Now when you have a lot of time and a lot of money left over, what do you do? And we started indulging into useless things along with the people who indulge in useless things. So we found some bad company and started doing bad things. And where does that precipitate? Eventually, We eventually outright started denying the day of retribution. Because then when you start to feel guilty or somebody gives you some advice, says, brother, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. That's not good. Then the guilt arises. Then you get defensive. Then that person says, hey, listen, why don't you live for your fairy tale? Day of judgment, paradise, Jannah. You, why don't you live your fairy tale? Alright? You're happily ever after. Let me enjoy myself in the here and the now. But then they regrettably say, Hatta atana al-yaqeen. Until reality finally came to us. When death came and reality came and we were put in our graves and we realized who was right and who was wrong. So it shows that, that, that progression. They started following their desires. Now, when I want to follow my desires, now I don't got money to, to, to spare. I don't have any change to spare for zakat. I don't have any dollars to spare for the masjid donation box. Because I got to fulfill my desires. I got to get this and I got to buy that and I got to have this and I got to have that. I gotta look out for me. I can't be giving money out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finally says, فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّن فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّن Excuse me. فَسَوْفَ So then soon, in the future, يَلْقَوْنَ They will meet. They will come to meet. They will meet. What will they meet? غَيَّن 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 or غيّن, it refers to two things. There's a literal understanding of the word, and then we have some information about what this word refers to. The literal understanding of the word is, it comes from غَوَى يَغْوِي, or غَوَى يَغْوُ, which refers to 
being completely lost or astray due to a corruption of beliefs. When a person just corrupts his beliefs, his or her beliefs to the point where they completely get off track and they get lost and they lose perspective, that is ghay. Ghawa. He's lost track of himself. Completely lost track of what's right and wrong. So that's the first thing that it refers to. The second thing that it refers to, Ibn Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu tells us in a, hadith, uh, in a narration in his tafsir, he says, غَارٌ فِي جَهَنَّمْ فِيهِ أَشَدُّ عَذَابٌ That this is a cave within hell, which will have the most severest of punishments, specially allocated to occur there. It is a cave in hell, where the most severe of the punishments of hell will happen. That is also the name of a place, the, the name of that place is also غَيُّن. Abdullah bin Abbas says that it is a cave in hell where there is such severe torment and punishment, there will be such nefarious individuals there that even Jahannam itself تَسْتَعِيدُ minhu. That even Jahannam itself seeks refuge with Allah from that place. Seeks refuge with Allah from that place. And so this is what that refers to. So either it means فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّنْ That these people soon will come to find, will come face to face with being completely lost. Or it could be referring to that place in hell as well. That soon these people will come face to face with the most horrible place in hell. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. Now when you read something like that, you can't help but feel a little overwhelmed, right? It's a little overwhelming. You read that just being neglectful about the prayer could lead me to the most horrible place in hell. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's even frightening. But this is the mercy of, of Allah, this is the mercy of His message, His kalam in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the door for His mercy. He opens the door for hope. He says that's a reality. Look, I, you know, when somebody really, really cares about you, they're honest with you, right? That's a sign of somebody who cares about you. They're honest with you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves us more than our mothers do. And so, He's honest with us. But then, in the next ayah, ayah number 60, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, However, don't despair. Don't feel like it's a hopeless cause. Illa, except for, He says there's an exception to this though. Who is the exception? Mantaba. Whosoever will repent. Taba a raja'a ilallah. Whosoever returns back to Allah. Fine, he's gotten off track. But when he sees the on-ramp, when he sees the on-ramp back onto Surat al-Mustaqim, back to Hidayah, when he has an opportunity to open the book of Allah, when he hears the adhan and he has an opportunity to go and pray, when he has a chance to go to the house of Allah and cry before Allah and put his face on the ground before Allah, then he will seize that opportunity. Mantaba, whosoever will repent. Whosoever repented, except for whosoever repented, returned back to Allah. Wa'amila salihan, and did good deeds. He did good. He did good righteous deeds. And the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions good righteous deeds, you know, I've been asked this question hundreds of times. Because oftentimes, and not because I have some perspective, it's, it's the need and the demand of the time. And it's something that the Qur'an tells us as well to do. 
So oftentimes when we engage in public lectures, public discourse, we talk with the common average people, we emphasize, we focus on the mercy and the forgiveness of Allah. And oftentimes when I'll be talking about the mercy and the forgiveness of Allah, I get asked a question afterwards. And the question is very, very... It's a good question. It's, it has a very good intention to it. And that is, at, one po- at what point though, at what point though, are we just kind of coddling people? At what point are we enabling people's behavior? By just saying, forgiving, merciful, forgiving, merciful, forgiving, merciful. First of all, when we read the ayat and when we read the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that talk about the forgiveness and the mercy of Allah, you find out that you cannot overemphasize the forgiveness and the mercy of Allah. It's impossible to do so. It's impossible to. Rahmati wasi'at kulla shay. Allah says, My mercy encompasses everything. Everything. Rahmati sabakat ghadabi. It overcomes and supersedes my anger and my wrath, Allah says in a hadith qudsi. So you can't overemphasize the forgiveness and the mercy of Allah. However, there is something that is stated in the Qur'an, which talks about being sincere in that repentance to Allah. Not abusing, not taking advantage of inappropriately, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being forgiving and being merciful. And that is what? وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا That yes, Allah will forgive and repent over and over and over again as much as you need it. However, you can do something to prove the fact that you are sincere. That you are sincere in your repentance and your asking of forgiveness and mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how can you prove that sincerity? وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا Back it up. Walk the talk. Walk the talk. If you're saying, Oh Allah, I messed up. Oh Allah, I haven't been praying. Oh Allah, please forgive me. Oh Allah, I haven't been praying. Then what you need to do at that point is you need to back it up. And so when I sit there before Allah, and I say, and I said a little while ago, an hour ago, oh Allah, I, I, I'm not careful about my prayer, oh Allah, please forgive me for my prayer. In about 20 minutes when it's time to pray Salat al-Isha, now I got a chance to back it up. Stand up and say, Allahu Akbar. Wa'amila salihan. Fa'ula'ika, fa'ula'ika yadkhuluna al-jannah. Then those people, yadkhuluna al-jannah, they will enter. Al-Jannah, the gardens of paradise. وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا And they will not be wronged even in the least bit. They will not be wronged in any way, shape or form in regards to anything. وَلَا يُظْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا They will not be wronged in the least bit. And this is a consolation to the believers. People who stuck to the truth. People who stuck to maintaining their relationship with Allah. Even though quote-unquote, it seemed like the world was passing them by. Opportunity after opportunity was passing them by. They didn't have fun here. They didn't capitalize on that. They didn't take this opportunity. They didn't get that done. They didn't get that. It seemed like everything was just slipping them by. And they, from a very worldly perspective, they looked like they were the losers. Allah says, no, no. فَأُولَٰئِكَ If they hang in there, أُولَٰئِكَ يَدْخُلُونَ And that's why it's in the present future tense. That you gotta hang in there just for a little bit longer. Just for a little bit longer hang in there. Because eventually, يَدْخُلُونَ Those are the people that will enter Jannah, and those are the people that will not be wronged even in the least bit. That every little moment, every little sacrifice that they made, will, is written for them, will be recalled, will be brought up, and they will be compensated and rewarded way beyond their expectations for every little sacrifice that they made. وَلَا يُدْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا 
And then subhanAllah, look at this. In ayah number 59, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kind of gave the real talk, the warning, one ayah, Allah gave the warning. فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَاتَّبَعُوا شَهُوَاتِ And then in three words, فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّنْ فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّنْ Three words, just. They will meet a very horrible place in hell. Warning is done. Now Allah is talking about the reinforcement of good, giving, congratulating, and encouraging, and motivating. Ayah number 60. And in ayah number 61, Allah goes on elaborating. One ayah about the warning, we're at the second ayah already now talking about, well, if you do good, what do you get? Ayah number 60 talked about, ayah number 61 continues. Not just one jannah, jannati adinin. Not just one paradise, but multiple paradises. For each and every single person. Multiple paradises. And I talked about this before, I believe, that we know from the hadith of the Prophet some authentic narration, the last person to go to paradise, to go to Jannah, the lowest position in Jannah and paradise, his paradise will be 10 times the size of this world. Imagine that. Jannati Adanin. Jannat of Adan. Now what does Adan mean? Again, there's a literal meaning and then there's some, some information we've been given about this. The literal meaning means eternity. For all of eternity. Never ending. Jannati Adanin, gardens of eternity. Gardens of eternity. Paradises for all of eternity. Now, the information we've been given about this is that Adan is the name of one of the highest places in Jannah and Paradise. It is a name of a specific position, place in Jannah and Paradise that will be up on a very high position. And that person will be able to look out at the rest of Jannah and Paradise. So it's that, it's that room with a view. So it's Jannah with a view. So it's a view with a view. You get it. Alright? Jannati Adanin. So imagine that. So they will have the highest place in paradise. Gardens that are everlasting, eternal. Not, it's not about to end. This party is going to go on forever. Jannati Adanin. So if you miss the party in dunya, you get the party forever in akhirah. Alright? That's for the youngins. Jannati Adanin. Gardens for all of eternity or the place called Adan in Jannah. Allati. Now Allah describes it, Allati, it is that place. It is that place that Ar-Rahman, here again we see the repetition, the reoccurrence of that same attribute of Allah being Ar-Rahman, which has reoccurred throughout the ayah, throughout the surah multiple times. So again, it's being mentioned here because this is a very motivating passage. Ar-Rahman, His mercy is abundant, has no limits, has no boundary. You cannot comprehend the magnitude of His blessing. And His mercy. وَعَدَ Rahman. He has promised. Allah has promised. Imagine the promise of Allah. Who has He promised? عِبَادَهُ His slaves. بِالْغَيْبِ بِالْغَيْبِ He has promised them with the unseen. Now what does that exactly mean? This type of a construction. Number one, it could be saying that Allah has promised them and they have not seen. Allah has promised them that which they have not seen. Have we seen Jannah? Of course not. Of course not. Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ tells us, مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُدُنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطْرَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِ بَشَرٍ A place that no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, has not even crossed the mind of a human being. So Jannah is such a place. Or it could also mean, وَعَدَ الرَّحْمَانُ عِبَادَهُ بِالْغَيْبِ 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised them to believe in something that they have not seen. So it's referring back to, it's like implicitly referring back to iman bil ghayb. That the fact that Allah has promised, why should I even believe that Allah has promised me this? That's an issue of iman bil ghayb. And whenever you have, the more difficult the task, the greater the reward. It is more difficult to believe in a promise that you can't see, that you have, cannot look at, that you cannot touch or feel. It's more difficult to believe in, in a promise such as that. But if you are willing to believe in it, the reward will be that much greater. The reward will be that much greater. وَعَدَ الرَّحْمَانُ عِبَادَهُ بِالْغَيْبِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ وَعْدُهُ مَأْتِيًّا Most definitely, he. إِنَّهُ Most definitely, he. كَانَ وَعْدُهُ His promise has always been and will always be. Again, the kana here is not to put it into the past tense that it was. It means it consistently has been and will consistently be. It's to emphasize it. That His promise is most definitely ma'atiyan. Ma'atiyan means that it will arrive. It will happen, it will arrive, it will come. And again, this comes from the root word itiyan. Ata'ya'ti. We talked about this term. That it means a coming that is easier and lighter. More facilitated. Something that is easier. So not just coming, but not just arriving, but arriving with ease and comfort. So meaning His promise will be fulfilled very easily, very simply. That this is not a huge task for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fulfill this promise. This is very easy for Allah. إِنَّهُ كَانَ وَعْدُهُ مَأْتِيًا It's guaranteed. Why are you worrying? What are you worried about? إِنَّهُ كَانَ وَعْدُهُ مَأْتِيًا It's promised. It's done. Forget about it. It's a done deal. You have nothing to worry about. Some of the Mufassirun also say something very interesting here. They say that if wa'ad, if wa'ad refers back to Jannah and Paradise, the promise of Jannah and Paradise, ma'tiyan. Ma'tiyan could also be from the dharf. That it will be a place of arrival. And this is that Jannah is a place that the arrival there has been promised. You have been promised that you will eventually arrive at Paradise. And that's a scene that has been described to us in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Zumar, وَسِيقَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ رَبَّهُمْ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ زُمَرًا حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءُوهَا وَفُتِحَتْ أَبْوَابُهَا وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ طِبْتُمْ فَدْخُلُهَا خَالِدِينَ That when those people come in lines and in rows and droves, they arrive at the gates of Jannah, and وَفُتِحَتْ أَبْوَابُهَا and the gates are open for them. It's like a grand opening, a grand entrance, a grand welcome. وَقَالَ لَهُمْ خَزَنَتُهَا And the gatekeepers are saying, سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ They're being given salam, they're being honored and dignified. طِبَتُمْ You people did good. You did good. فَدْخُلُوهَا خَالِدِينَ So enter into paradise for all of eternity. So it's describing that scene, and Imagine arriving at Jannah. Imagine arriving at Jannah. What a scene it'll be. Imagine how fulfilling of an experience it'll be. Everything was worth it. And so much more I would have been willing to do. To just get this. La yasma'una. Subhanallah, we've already had two ayah talk about the elaborating upon Jannah. Now ayah number three, ayah number 62, is the third ayah in a row where Allah goes on talking about Jannah. He's trying to motivate us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is motivating us, inspiring us. 
And so he goes on describing Jannah for the third ayah in a row. لا يسمعون فيها لغوًا إلا سلامًا. They will not hear in Jannah that Jannah and, and over here, all right. Those students familiar a little bit more with some more complex grammatical sentence structure know there is taqdim wa ta'khir here. لا يسمعون لغوًا فيها. لا يسمعون فيها لغوًا. So there's abnormal sentence structure here. And the purpose for it is to say that Jannah is the only place where you will not hear any useless, any annoying, any type of disturbing talk. You're not going to hear noise in Jannah. You know noise? It's like just noise is disturbing, agitating, annoying, right? Grates your nerves. No noise in Jannah. No noise in Jannah. And that's the only place that is free of any noise. In dunya, it doesn't matter who you are. There's always some type of noise. There's always something to annoy you. There's always something saying, someone saying something about you. There's always somebody doing something you don't like. Jannah is the only place where there's no noise. Now the parents are all thinking, man, sign me up. No noise in Jannah. Alright? When you have children, then you know what real noise is. Alright? لا يسمعون فيها لغوان لا يسمعون فيها لغوان That they will not hear, and only in Jannah is that place, that they will not hear لغوان, any type of noise. إلا سلامن The only thing that they will hear, سلامن, like I just described. Though, and that doesn't just mean that they'll be greeted. Salam as in honoring someone, like I talked about it. If somebody very respectable, very honorable comes here, then we all like, you know, we all say salam to him, we all go out of our way to say salam and respect, and everybody wants to meet with him. And so you'll be honored and respected in that way. Salaman salama. Qalu illa qilan salaman salama. They'll be told salaman salama. Everybody saying salam to them. Everybody is honored to meet them. Everybody thinks that it is a great honor for them just to simply be able to say salam to them. Imagine that level of dignity and respect. That'll be granted in paradise. Now, one little grammatical nuance here. It says, illa. Now, illa means except for. But one thing that you have to understand that there's an issue called al-istithna al-munqati'ah. That there is sometimes that the thing that is being made an exception does not necessarily belong to the group of where it was made an exception. The mustathna does not belong to the group of the mustathna minhu. So what precedes, what, what follows the illa doesn't belong to the, the genre or the group or the specific category of what precedes the illa. So it's not saying that they won't hear any noise the only noise that they'll hear is people saying salam like man, can't these people stop saying salam? That, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. The, what follows the illa does not belong to what preceded the illa. So it's like to completely flip the script, that they will not hear in paradise any type of noise. The only thing that they will enjoy is being said salam to. They'll enjoy being said salam to. So it's a complete flipping of that. Like it mentions about shaitan. فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ إِلَّا Iblis. So Iblis doesn't belong to the group of Malaika. And we know that. كَانَ مِنَ الْجِنِ طيب. So just wanted to explain that little grammatical issue there. وَلَهُمْ رِزْقُهُمْ فِيهَا 
And specifically, exclusively reserved for them, again due to the abnormal sentence structure, exclusively reserved for them, is rizquhum, their sustenance. And of course I've talked before about the term rizq. Rizq doesn't just mean like food, or drink, or water. Right? Rizq refers to anything that a person benefits from. Specifically reserved for them is anything that benefits them, anything that they would like to enjoy. Bukratan wa'ashiyan. Morning and evening. That they will be provided sustenance morning and evening. Now again, do we literally understand this? Is it prison? They only get two meals a day? Right? <laughs> no. But rather it's like an expression, it's a figure of speech. Morning, evening, day and night, whenever you feel like it. You know how you used to talk like that? Somebody says, you mind if I come by your place? Bro, come any, uh, come any time, morning and evening, day or night, I don't care. Like meaning, come at any time. So it's like an expression saying, they can eat, they can enjoy, they can benefit from whatever they want, whenever they want. The other thing, and this again adds to the beauty and the eloquence of this passage talking about Jannah and Paradise. The reason, so they'll, 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 want, they'll get what they want when they want it. They'll get what they want. There are numerous hadith that talk about person of Jannah is lying, he sees a fruit on a tree, the tree will literally bend all the way down and feed the person. Straight from the branch, just feed the person, fruit. Straight from the tree. There are hadith talk about the fact that he'll just simply think about something, like the birds flying over, he'll just think about that looks tasty. Alright? That looks tasty. Right? So he'll just think that that looks tasty and boom, barbecue, roasted, whatever he would like. So we have plenty of hadith that talk about the fact that he'll get what he wants, when he wants, however he wants. But the reason why Allah said, Bukratan wa ashiyan, he'll get what he wants whenever he wants. But every morning and every evening in paradise, there will be a feast, there will be a celebration, there will be a party. You ever look forward to like a big party? Your best friend's getting married? bought a nice new suit, everybody's all excited, got all dressed up, you know, planned it for weeks. And it's like the big moment, the big occasion. You ever get excited for Eid? Right? It's like, yeah, Eid. Everybody's gonna be all dressed nice and get together at the masjid. Woohoo! Nobody's gonna listen to the khutbah. And then we're gonna hug each other. And, right? You get all excited for Eid and we're gonna go eat inordinate amounts of food at different people's houses. After, not, after being disciplined with food for a month, I'm going to eat 18 meals in one day. You get excited, right? Excited. It's feasts, celebrations. It's in human nature. It's in human nature. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even tells us to celebrate the good things. To celebrate the good things. Right? So wanting to celebrate and enjoy and festivities and feasts and celebrations is a human nature for a human being to enjoy this and like this and want this. So it says every, imagine every morning and every evening there will be a big party in Jannah. Everybody from Jannah is going to get together and party. Just imagine that. A feast and a celebration twice a day in paradise. Just party as much as you'd like. Bukratan wa ashiyan. Now we go on to ayah number 63. This is the fourth ayah in a row. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One ayah was the warning. This is the fourth ayah in a row continuing to talk about the blessing. Tilka al-Jannah. Tilka al-Jannah. Arabic students, tilka? That. Alright? So that. Tilka al-Jannah. That is Jannah. That Jannah. Tilka al-Jannah. That Jannah. 
Like a proclamation, like excitement, imagine. Tilka al-jannah, that jannah. Allati. That jannah which is? Nurithu min ibadina. The one that? Nurithu min ibadina. Allah says, we will give to... We will give to, uh, we will inherit, we will give from our slaves this Jannah and this paradise. And the word, the reason why irath, the word, reason why the word inheritance is used, is also for a very, very powerful, eloquent reason. Why well, didn't just say that we will give them Jannah? Why we will in, give them an inheritance this Jannah? Because it, it's 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 got some balaga in this. And think about this fact: a son. Inherits from the father, correct or not? And it is the son's right to inherit from the father. And if somebody would try to deny the son his right of inheritance, what would we call that? That's a crime, the zulm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these people are in such good graces of Allah, that these people deserve Jannah. And to give them anything other than Jannah would be a crime, it would be zulm upon them. It would be a zulm upon them. These people are deserving of Jannah. Tilka Jannah, that Jannah. Allati nuritu min ibadina. That we will give, that we will bless, that we will inherit to min ibadina from our slaves. However, one last little reminder is worked in there. The word min is used. Min litab'id. The word min is used from our slaves. But the tragedy is, it won't be everyone. It'll be some from our slaves. The ones that are willing to take into perspective what was said three ayats ago in ayah number 60, Taba wa amila salihan. We gotta turn back, we gotta repent to Allah and do good deeds. As long as we're willing to do that, Allah is more than willing to take care of us. Min ibadina, from our slaves, man kana, and then Allah tells us, who is that person? The one who, whosoever, kana taqiyan. Kana taqiyan. Taqiyun refers to having the quality of taqwa. Having the quality of taqwa. So being cognizant, being aware of your actions and your deeds, always being aware and conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then already the word taqiyan is in that exaggerated form, the permanent adjective form. And then on top of that, you have the word kana there for extra emphasis. That that person stuck to this quality of constantly being aware and conscious of what would Allah want me to do right now. Would this please Allah or would this displease Allah? Potentially displease Allah. And he's always, that he or she always lived with that reality. That awareness, that consciousness, that realization. Man kana taqiyan. What time is the adhan? It's time? Couple of more minutes, okay. The next ayah, ayah number 64 begins another passage here. I'm gonna go ahead and delve into it regardless, simply because we want, inshallah, our goal and our aim is to be able to finish the surah in the week that we have left. This begins another passage. This has a little bit of context to it. The Prophet ﷺ, especially in moments of difficulty and adversity, during tests and trials, when the da'wah and the message went public, and people became very, very aggressive in their opposition, and became violent, and became abrasive. That was a very difficult time in a moment. Emotionally, it was very difficult to deal with. That constant negativity. So at that time, the Prophet ﷺ's source of peace and comfort and tranquility and solace used to be in receiving divine revelation. To receive the kalam of Allah, to receive a communication from Allah. 
That would bring the Prophet ﷺ comfort. You know when you receive a message from somebody you have a deep connection with, you love someone, you're going through a difficult time, and somebody you love, somebody you care about, somebody that you are very connected to, sends you a message, and you read their message, it puts a smile on your face. So he used to look forward to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending revelation. And so one time Jibreel ﷺ came after a little duration, a little bit of a break. He said to Jibreel ﷺ, لِمَاذَا لَا تَزُورُنَا أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا يَزُورُنَا لِمَاذَا لَا تَزُورُنَا أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا تَزُورُنَا He says, why don't you visit us more than you already do visit us? Meaning, I appreciate the fact you visit, but why don't you visit more? Why don't you visit more often? We look forward to you. I look forward to your visits. Visit more often. And so the Prophet started feeling a little anxious at times. You start to feel a little anxious at times. And this is addressed in Surah Taha, the next surah, Surah number 20, ayah 114, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَعْجَلْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يُقَضَى إِلَيْكَ وَحْيُ That do not rush the Qur'an, do not rush with the Qur'an, before it has been decided to be sent down to you. وَقُرْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Rather say, oh Allah, increase me in my ilm. Increase me in terms of knowledge. But wait patiently, the Qur'an will come to you when Allah has decreed and decided it is appropriate to come to you. So he used to feel, start to feel anxious. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing this. So when he said, why don't you visit us more often? And that's when these ayat were revealed. فَنَزَلَتِ الْآيَةِ This is mentioned in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. فَنَزَلَتِ الْآيَةِ وَمَا نَتَنَزَّلُ إِلَّا بِأَمْرِ رَبِّكَ This ayah, ayah number 64. And what's interesting about this ayah is, the speaker in the ayah, the person doing the talking in the ayah, like it is from the perspective of Jibreel alayhi salam. Jibreel alayhi salam is speaking on behalf of the angels and the malaika and addressing the Prophet And he says, وَمَا نَتَنَزَّلُ إِلَّا بِأَمْرِ رَبِّكَ That we do not come down except by the permission, by the command of your Lord. And we actually, uh, the students in the summer intensive learned today, Yet natanazzalu, this is from tanazzul, tanazzala yatanazzalu. This particular verb pattern, one of the implications of it is takalluf, to struggle, to kind of have to work, to kind of hesitate to do something. It has a little bit of a struggle involved with it to try to do something. So what they're saying is, we cannot even try to come down. We cannot even try to come down except through the permission of your Rabb, through the command of your Lord. Why? لَهُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيْنَا وَمَا خَلْفَنَا وَمَا بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ For him alone is all that which is in front of us, all that which is behind us, وَمَا بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ and all that which is between everything. Everything belongs to him. He's the sole one in charge. We can't come down, we can't even move a muscle, we can't do anything without his command and his permission. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيًّا And your Lord is not forgetful in the least bit. Your Lord is not forgetful in the least bit. Now, a couple of notes here. There's something very... There's a couple of notes of observation here in terms of the reflections on the ayat, on this ayah, ayah number 64. First of all, why are the angels... What, what's the benefit of having the angels say this? Why, why have the angels as a speaker within this ayah, as a mutakallim? And the reason for that is, it is to honor the Prophet ﷺ. 
to honor the Prophet ﷺ. It's almost as if the angels are apologizing to the Prophet ﷺ. That our apologies, we do not mean any disrespect. But we can't come unless the issue, the command has been issued from your Lord. We can't. It's, it shows, the angels are humbling themselves before the Prophet ﷺ. It shows dignity and respect and honor to the Prophet ﷺ. So as to not belittle what he's experiencing and the adversity that he's dealing with. That we understand you're dealing with a lot. And we respect you very, very much. And we want you to know we don't mean the least bit of disrespect. But we can't come down unless the command has been issued by your Rabb. The second thing is, this also refutes a corrupt form of belief. Because now we are transitioning over to that passage that we'll be talking to the mushrikun and refuting the disbelievers of Makkah. So it's a refutation of, the, of a, a false belief of the people of Makkah, who said that the angels were the banat of Allah. They said the angels are the daughters of Allah, and the fact that the angels will intercede on our behalf. So they used to actually worship angels. Some of the mushrikun would worship angels, and they would say, these are the daughters of Allah, and they will intercede on our behalf, they will speak on our behalf before Allah, and get us forgiven on the day of judgment. So when the Prophet ﷺ would tell them not to do shirk, they say, oh, we're worshipping these angels that you talk about. The angels your Qur'an talks about, we're just worshipping those angels. And those angels, they'll actually represent us, they'll take care of us, don't worry, you do your thing, let us do our thing. So this refutes that fact. The angels are saying, no, 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 we are not some daughters of Allah, we are not some type of, we don't share in the divine power of Allah. We are the khalq, the khalq of Allah, the makhluk of Allah. We are the creation of Allah. We are bound. We are completely bound by His command and His authority. They cannot disobey what Allah has commanded, and they simply do as they've been commanded to do. So it refutes them. No, 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 don't, don't misconstrue the issue of the angels. They are the makhluk of Allah. Look how obedient they are to Allah. They can't move a muscle unless Allah gives them permission. And the last thing, when they said, وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيًّا that your Lord is not forgetful in the least bit, what that is making reference to, is that, O Muhammad wasallam. we know you're going through a whole lot right now. We know things are very, very difficult. And even though of course you realize this, but a reminder never hurt anybody. In fact, the Qur'an tells us, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَى تَنْفَعُ mu'minin." Remind, because the reminder helps, aids, benefits the believers. And you're going through a lot. And we know you're going through a lot. But your Lord doesn't, hasn't forgotten about you. And He will never forget about you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And He's there for you. So don't worry. He, he's taking care of you. And He will continue to take care of you. He hasn't forsaken you. And in that is a reminder to all of us as well. We all deal with adversity at times. We all deal with difficulty at times. But what we have to remember is the same advice. Allah hasn't forgotten about us. He will never forget about us. He knows exactly what's going on with us. And He will take care of us. It is our job, it is a test for us to see whether we turn to Allah in that moment of difficulty and adversity or not. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.